morning, Bethany West Seattle. My name's Scott Sun. I am uh, the pastor at Bethany North and the executive lead pastor that gets to uh, walk with your pastor, Prentice Park. Uh, I, am, I oversee Bethany North and Bethany West Seattle and Bethany East Side. And so about four times a year, I try to just get over here. And this is the first time, actually, to get a chance to speak a word with you because special news for the two of you that haven't heard via Instagram. Your pastor is now engaged as of last night. If you hadn't heard, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. And uh, that's something that he was really excited about. And he and Maria celebrate their engagement. or That happened yesterday. They're celebrating today. And I just said, hey, you know, Prentice, I, I get to oversee you, but I don't get to be with your people very often. And so so why don't you take Sunday off and take a breather before tomorrow night service? I would love to come out there. So uh, it is a great honor to be here this morning. And Christmas is a love story. And so as I, as I light the candles of Advent, it is such a privilege today to teach on the book of Isaiah, this theme of now arriving, uh, because this text today is a text of great comfort. That when we need God to show up, he will show up, and he has shown up. The poster that we've been using, these different kind of poster announcements today, prepare the way, the voice crying in the wilderness. And so I'd love to say a prayer, and we'll prepare our hearts, and I believe that God has a special word for you. People of West Seattle, I'm excited to be able to share it. So let me uh, pray, and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church, this morning, this reminder. And as we come to your text, God, we pray you would just open up the text and open up our lives to this great love story of Christmas, of love came down, God, that you, you made a way to crack through the skies and in the person of Jesus Christ to incarnate your love. And so, God, we know there are so much going on in this community. We know there is so much going on around the world and our minds are aflutter with details. Will you give us pause this morning? to hear a word from you, God, to us, your people. We're ready, we're willing to receive it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Isaiah 40, uh, your title in your bulletin is a new kind of king. New kind of king. I don't use uh, Prentice's clickers very often, so it's going to be super awkward. But I'll just, uh, I want to tell you a story about a hike that my family and I went a couple years ago. This is in the Moab, uh, Moab area of Utah, Negroville Canyon. We got to Moab, Utah. We were on this epic road trip, and this is my crew. My wife, Heather, she's a therapist. Uh, she has a practice uh, up in Edmonds with a bunch of other therapists working for her. And she's passionate about marriage and family uh, ministry through her therapeutic practice and we have four beautiful kids and a fifth child in heaven and uh, my oldest is Avery down to my little one Sky, and and this picture is two years old so now 14 down to six we took this epic road trip and when we got to Moab we wanted some adventure we'd been cooped up in the car and uh, the, the local said you got to do you got to do this uh, I was going to go back to yeah uh, you got to do this hike the the Negroville Canyon Sounds good, we said. Now, I'm a pastor of Bethany North. There's some things that I think that I can do okay, that if you're like, hey, Scott, I want to I plan a church. I want to talk with pastors. I want to preach a sermon. I would love to give you advice. Hey, if you want me to lead your hiking expedition, you've got the wrong guy. I'm just, I'm not a hiker by nature, and I always underestimate our needs. So we set out, family of six, on the Negroville Canyon hike. It's about seven miles into this canyon where there's a little source of a, of a river. Now, the river runs, you can't see it well through this photo, but through the valley, gorgeous. And I was in charge of water and snacks. We got out of the vehicle to do the hike. It was over 100 degrees. My little one at the time is four years 
years old. Now, any parent in the room is like, yeah, sounds like, it sounds like a bad idea, right? Take a picture, say you did the hike, and go back into town. No, I was optimistic. We had a backpack of limited supplies. And as we headed up into the canyon, uh, we, before we got to the head of the canyon, we used the end of our water supply. The, the, there's rivers all over, there is a river, so there's waters all throughout the canyon, but you can't drink it, of course. And so there was a problem right from the beginning. And as our water disappeared, our anxiety increased and our fears increased. And there's nothing like awareness of your need to show you awareness of where you're most broken, right? So like, for me, as my water went down, my anxiety as a father went up. And when my anxiety anxiety as a father went up, I was less empathetic, less compassionate, less kind. I'm operating out of the margins. And for some of you like, that sounds like the last week of my life. Then, Then stay tuned. Because this hike had something to teach me. And this word has something to teach us. That Through Isaiah 40, the prophet Isaiah describes a new kind of king, Jesus Christ, who longs to comfort and call you to himself and carry you to safety in his arms. And because I'm a pastor, of course we had to alliterate these things, right? But we're going to be looking today at comfort and this calling and being carried because what happens in Isaiah 40 is the tone of the message changes. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, hey, yeah, there's judgment. A serious coming, captivity is, is promised. Israel's made some decisions that have led them outside of the fullness of God. And when you have been making decisions out of God's best, there are, unfortunately, there's reperca- repercussions to bear. And, and though, like, that's the word spoken through the first 39 chapters. In Isaiah 40, as you just heard read beautifully for you, there's this new word that a new kind of king is coming. But unlike the Mideast kings of dominance and violence, there's a new king who brings comfort. Comfort. That's verse one. Comfort, comfort my people. It's this word of great comfort. There's a new kind of king, a new king who's kind coming in the person of Christ. But the catch is you have to know your need to receive this kind of kindness. You have to know your brokenness to to look for the fullness in Christ. And there's a message both of encouragement in Isaiah 40, but also of warning. Because when we cover up our need for Christ and try to make ourselves comfortable and trying to say the world's really not broken, I'm going to self-medicate, I'm going to, you know, shop my way into fullness, or I'm going to choose other ways to kind of fill full, it never works. But for the people of God who know they're thirsty, there's water of spirit available in the person of Christ. And so if you know you're thirsty this morning, if you know you're hungry, if you know you're broken, God's got an encouraging word for you that God longs to comfort and call you to himself and carry you to safety because you won't be carried until you come to the end of yourself. You won't be carried until you come to the end of yourself. I'll tell a little bit more of my story here coming up, but I I just want you to be thinking about that as you're hearing these words. Am I at the end of myself? Am I ready to be carried by Christ? Even in the busyness of the season, can I pause and reflect, Lord Jesus, will you carry me? Let's look at this word of comfort. The first point of our outline, there's comfort, but only for those in need. Each promise here comes with this kind of encouragement, the promise of comfort, the encouragement. Do you know you need Christ? Look at verse 1 and 2, and then we'll look also at verse 6 through 8. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
the comfort for those who need. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her her heart's service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. We're going to be looking at comfort. I want to highlight three words from these first two verses of Isaiah 4. We're going to look at comfort, and we're going to look at tender, and we're going to look at proclaim. Because we just highlight the text, God wants to highlight pieces of our own story. Again, remember that the old focus, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are all about kind of God's judgment. And the new focus, this turning point of Isaiah 40 is in God's comfort. So let's look at this, this first word, comfort. The Hebrew word for comfort is this word, nehem. It means to relent from judgment. It means also, because in Hebrew, every word is like a jewel that has about eight different English verses hanging off it. So this is why we love to do the original language work as pastors, because the original language is so much richer than our English translations. Nehem means to comfort, to relent from anger, but it also means fulfillment. It it means to change one's mind. So that when, when in the Bible, when this word Nahim was spoken, it was spoken in the word into the life of Noah, it was spoken in the person of Nehemiah, where God says, speak this word of comfort where someone's mind is changed, where God longs to comfort his people. And I love that the text here says, if you're looking at your scriptures, if we look here, comfort who? My people, says God. Comfort my people. And in the original language, my, if you're like, oh, okay, Israel, because the rest of the world is outside of God's story until Christ. This must be a purely Israeli proclamation, the ancient Hebrew people. But actually, in the ancient language, when God says my people, lexically, it means exegetically, all people of the earth. Because actually, though the promise in the Old Testament is for, the God, for God's favorite people through the line of Abraham, there's provision for all people on earth from the very beginning. So it doesn't matter your ethnic background or your sexual background or your political background that God is calling all people to himself for fulfillment. Comfort my people says you're God. And I used to be an English teacher in LA, so I just, I don't mean to geek out on this, but I think these personal pronouns are really, really important. Do you know God as your own? Does God, like, do you feel like, oh, I'm in this story. I'm his person. He's my God. So often, if you're like me, the scriptures can feel distant and God can feel absent. It's particularly in places where I'm uncomfortable, in places where I feel God's judgment or he feels distant from me or I'm, I'm hurting or I'm lonely. But God says here, the comfort is available to anyone who identifies as mine and I will be your God. That word comfort is so powerful. We worship a God of a personal pronoun. We are his people. He is our God. Look at the second word I want to lift up, this tender. Speak tenderly. This is interesting, right? Because if you've been following along in the sermon series, a lot of early Isaiah, things are getting mowed down and there's robes dipped in blood and it's like, oh baby. I mean, it's, it's intense, the judgment that Israel is under. But here, the tone has changed. The tenderness of God. Speak tenderly. The Hebrew word here is this word, lav. It means heart or extension or the inner person or the self or this kind of seat of thought of emotion or as some scholars say, one's whole self, the tenderness of God. So, so, so offer my people comfort and speak tender to them 
and, and proclaim. The third word we're lifting up from here, proclaim. There's a proclamation. A proclamation in the ancient world was a notification. The biggest news, the emergency broadcast system of the day. Would you make this proclamation, God says through the person Isaiah, to my people? Well, what is the proclamation that the sin has been paid for? That the season of restoration has begun. That the judgment is over because a new king, remember a king of kindness, a kind king, the new king has come. And so if, if you need it, because for those who need it, there's comfort. If you need it, the good news is this morning that there's comfort available. Let's look at verses 6 through 8 as we dig deeper into this text. A voice says, cry out. And I said, Isaiah the writer, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. Their faithfulness is like flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. It's interesting, for me at least, as a modern person, If I'm like, hey, can I speak a comforting word over you? Let me speak a comforting word of you. Life is short, you'll die soon, right? It works, right? No. If I I was going to speak in our mindset, if I was going to speak comfort over you, I would speak provision. I would speak fullness. I would say you will never be lonely. Your bank account will always be full. Your family gatherings tomorrow or on Tuesday will never be anxious You'll always be full and you won't even have a buzz. You'll just be joyful. Like, yeah, that's the comfort I'm going to give you as the people of God. Not, not ancient Israel from Isaiah. The comfort. Give me some comfort, Isaiah. Life is short. You're like grass. You're like a flower. And the Lord blesses you and blows over you. Surely, just in case you missed it. Life is short. People are grass. What do I do with that? How can the temporality of life possibly be good news to us? We're people clinging for life. We work out to extend our life. We take vitamins and medicine. I mean, Wesley, I know from Prentice, I was here in the spring. He was preaching. He was up on this table. He was like going to burst open his shirt. I mean, he's the healthiest pastor we've got on staff. We're all trying to extend life, right? I want to look like Prentice too. But, But the comfort comes... Not in our fullness, but in our recognition that we need something to bring comfort to us. This is super, super important, and I need you to dig in on this with me. Because we try to find comfort on our own. Often in the absence of God, but with more money, more social media status, more vacations, more health. Like We can name it, God, would you bring that kind of comfort to me? But Isaiah promises here the now arriving comfort is recognizing that we need comfort from another place outside of ourselves. It can only come from one place, from the arrival of Christ. And so the comfort for those that need it is through this proclamation that, hey, this is the new word. That the comfort isn't going to be something that you achieve on your own. God's not mad at you anymore. God's not angry God is speaking this word of comfort and tenderness and proclamation to invite you back in to the end of yourself. Because when you recognize your brokenness, that's where the fullness of Christ's life in you can begin. When you can recognize your need for him, there's filling. When, like for those that hunger, God says, I will fill you. And to the proudest, 
They don't have a need for God. And so they go marching off to extend life on their own and they miss this. But for the humble and the weak, the tender, those that need the comforting of our Lord, there's a promise this morning. God says, I will be good to you. I'll be good to you. How do you know that, Scott? And you don't know, you don't know what it's like being out here in West Seattle. You don't know my journey of singleness or, or relationship. You don't, you don't know me. And, and I will confess, I don't know you super personally. I'm sorry for that. But if you, if you would, I just want to tell you a tiny bit of my story. How do I know that the comfort comes most to those that need it? How do I know that when we hurt the most and need the Lord's comfort, that we can turn hurt into prayer and praise? What? Hurt into prayer and praise? <laughs> done. This guy, send him back north. He's done here in West Seattle. We don't need that kind of word here. Hurt into praise? Now, I was fed that, a steady diet of that in the 80s in the evangelical church. Now, hurt needs to be, you know, kind of nurtured. But what Isaiah is saying here is your hurt, your temporality will find life in the person of Christ. And I, I experienced this in my own life. I shared with you four kids, fifth in heaven. So 10 years ago, last Tuesday, really hard time to say, if any of you are you know, kind of remembering somebody you love around the holidays, super painful time, right? Because you're feeling all the feels of Christmas, but you also have all this extra sadness. That's, that's me, if I can be real. Last couple weeks have been super hard. Because we lost a son 10 years ago, 10 years ago, December 11th, in utero, nine pound, perfect little beautiful boy, Fisher Samuel's son. And the morning of his loss, my wife had felt hiccups, all was good, he's a couple days late, no problem, mother-in-law's in town to watch said baby, once we have them, we have two older kids, we had been to Maui that fall, like, life is good. The grass withering, now man, my grass is bright green, growing fine, thank you. And we went to the doctor on December 10th, and the doctor said, I have horrible news. Your son's heart has stopped beating. In the wreckage of that news, in the carnage of it, we walked over to Swedish. My wife delivered the next morning, and we spent a day with our son before he was gone. His breath was, there was no breath in his lungs. He had died from a cord contusion, likely. And in the weeks that followed, like the withering grass moment of my life, total darkness of life, an old friend reached out to my wife, and she said, you know, I'm with you, and I've been through hard things too. And in so many words, she said, I might encourage you to try turning your hurt into prayer and praise. She sent a worship song, one that I hadn't heard a lot of at the time, like an old hymn that she'd been singing at church, Before the Throne of God Above. And you know that song? Before the throne of God above, I have a high and perfect king. I'm probably messing it, right? But thank you. But I was like... How, you're going to send me a worship song in the worst season of my life? How dare you? And then I put it in, I listened to it. It was like 10 years ago. I don't even know, probably like on an eight track or something because I'm that old. But I forget how we were listening, but we would, we'd listen to it. I'm like, nah, I'm still angry, still hurting. And we'd listen to it again. I'm still hurting. And listen to it again. And I, again and again and again. And for those that hurt, there's comfort. The comfort of the Lord was available to us didn't take the pain away but we were not alone in it 
And if you're hurting this morning, if you're lonely, if there's somebody you love that you're worried about, I want to encourage you, church. Don't you dare send them a card and speak some sort of hallmark prophecy over their life. You know, when God opens the door, when he closes the window, or like all that garbage, right? No. But just in your presence, remind them, remind yourself that life is short, but there's comfort available. And we can turn our our hurt into praise and worship. Ten years later, heart still hurts, but I've seen comfort from God to the people I love because of this baby Fisher's loss. A greater capacity to love, more empathy in my kids. Still hurts. God didn't take him. But God says, I can use the very worst days of your life to lead you into deeper relationship with me. There's comfort, but only if you need it. The second thing I want to look at this morning is calling, but only for those who look. If you look at verses 3 through 5, there's calling, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. They're calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. This is our poster moment here. Prepare the way. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley should be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be, I love that, just prophetic truth. It will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The calling here is for those who look. That the glory of the Lord is revealed in, in Christ. Prepare for the Lord. Jesus, as we know, the Emmanuel moment. God with us. Heaven cracked the skies. The nation of Israel is like, we don't get it. We don't get it. We don't get it. And God says, let me show you what love is. And he sends himself in the person of Christ. We'll celebrate it tomorrow, 5 p.m. West Seattle. You'll light the candle. Come and gather. Bring a friend. It's, the, it's one of the greatest nights of the year. The glory of the Lord is revealed in Christ. For those who look. And Jesus, as I just said, he can come for those who are hungry. He calls those who are hungry. He's calling. The glory of the Lord is revealed in him. Now, a lot of us, when we hear that hyperlink of calling, great. Scott, you're going you're gonna to talk on calling for a moment? Fantastic. Because calling for us in the church today, the way we do calling, it's kind of like the Christian horoscope. We want to rub a crystal ball, shake the eight ball thing, and say, God, show me my calling where will I live? What will I do? Who will I be with? God, can you give me the, the calling is another word for map. But actually what our calling is as the people of God is to see Christ. That our calling is to Christ as hope in relationship, period. And we make an idol of our vocation, Many of us, we can make an idol even of our relational status. Our calling as the people of God is the one calling us. Our entire being is meant to be in relationship with Christ, to love him and love other people. Our calling is to see Christ and to become more and more and more like Christ. Look at Isaiah 40. All the obstacles that could possibly keep people from seeing are being removed. The, the, the wilderness, the, the, the desert, the valley, the mountain, the hill, the rugged, all of it are being removed because God is coming to us. And I love that. This is the prepare the way for the Lord, make straight a highway. Whose highway? Oh, our highway, right? Because our modern evangelical kind of focus is we earn ourselves to Jesus. So, okay, this must be the highway is for us to walk to get better so that Jesus will love us more, right? No, the highway that God is preparing, that God is calling us to, it's for him coming to us. 
And that's, of course, talking about tomorrow night. We'll celebrate with the birth of Jesus coming to us. But it's, again, a great reminder in our Christian walks. God comes for us. He comes for us. He comes for us. And he's calling us to receive him. He's calling us to, to make our hearts ready and to, to, to know that the obstacles for us seeing and looking upon him have been removed. And so our job isn't to walk our way to Jesus. Our job is to just make a way to minimize distractions a bit, to set our phones down a little bit more, to be present to the people in our lives. Lord Jesus, prepare my heart for your coming. And I don't know if that works for you, but for me, that's very helpful that I don't have to always strive myself to God, that he's made his way to us. The calling that we're to be living into is Jesus calling to just be with us, to, 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 to see him. So our calling, two parts of this I want to just kind of lift up. Our calling, first part, is just to look at Jesus instead of the world, to see him, that we don't have to earn our way to him, but we're called just to see him. Instead of a world that's calling constantly for our attention, that the church exists, that our faith exists to see him. We do this when we see the eyes of the other and we're a blessing at Highland Park Elementary when we love people well. Because remember, Jesus says, if you want to follow my commandments, love God and love others. Everything hangs on that. And so our, our calling, part one, is just to see God by seeing others, by trying to look at him. I have this friend who um, recently went through a, a horrible divorce. They'd been married, second marriage for him, first for her, two young kids. He thought it was fine. He's been really busy at work. Thought it was fine. And at the end of the summer, at the breakfast table, she just looks at him and says, it's over. It's done. Gone. Moving to California, taking the girls. It's over. And in the wreckage and the carnage and many, many phone calls, I'm like, man, what, what happened? Like, I knew things were rough, but I kept calling you, and you said things were better. What happened? And he said these words that are haunting to me in a busy lifestyle. Anybody in a relationship in this morning could probably relate. He said, I stopped seeing her. I stopped seeing her. Like, I, I saw the kids, and I saw the job, and I saw the stuff we had to do, but I didn't see her. If you're in a relationship this morning, the surefire way to just to slowly lose touch with each other is to stop seeing each other, to literally stop looking one to another. And if you're in a relationship that's God-centered this morning, I want to just encourage you, make time to see each other, make time to comfort each other and seeing each other. And, and in your relationship with God, make time to look at him. Make time to see him. Look at the promise from verse 5. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's just look on Jesus like in practical ways. How does that, I don't know your habits. That's why we drill into habits a lot as a church. Again, we're not earning our way to Christ. He's, he's earned his way to us. But when I sit in the morning for me, and I light a candle, and I read the Bible, and I'll write a few verses and meditate on it. It's just a moment of saying, God, I want to see you instead of everything else that's bombarding me. And many mornings I fail at it. But God says, keep showing up. I want to see you too. I'm calling for anyone who's looking for me. Our calling and then in the second part, if you look deeper into verse 4, is to really know your brokenness. 
Every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. This is Hebrew poetry. So we get into the weeds a bit when we really try to parse out exactly what Isaiah is saying. But what I think's going on here, if you look, there's a valley and a mountain. Both will see the Lord together. People in the valley this morning, good news. God's promising, I will raise you up. This season of discomfort or valleyness you're walking through will not last. So if you're in this room this morning and it's a valley season for you, may you be encouraged. The valley will be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. What do we do with that? That for the proud, for those that aren't necessarily looking for the Lord, who aren't looking for a calling, a relationship with God, I mean, we, we know people like that locally, nationally. God promises for those on the mountain, I will bring you low. God calls all people to just know the brokenness. So if you're in the valley, know you can be raised up. If you're on the mountaintop, God won't necessarily smite you just to make you feel lower. But we are called to know our brokenness. Our influence we come for, we crave comes not from us trying to be more influenced. It's actually knowing our brokenness. And I want to share something that's really cool. You probably haven't seen this before, but this is a thing called subterranean leadership. And this is something our senior pastor, Richard Dahlstrom, shared with Prentice and I and a bunch of the elite pastors about a year and a half ago. This is copyrighted, so don't snap it and write a book because you'll, you'll get me in a lot of trouble. He's hoping to write on this and create this. But if you can see that, I know these words are really hard for you, but if I can, if I can show you, there's a mountain and there's this subtraining because Pastor Rich is really into mountains, right? So you, the top of the mountain is influence and then tactics and strategy and vision. That's all stuff above the surface. And in Christian circles, we love that stuff. Man, in pastor worlds, I can show you 20 books written on how to have more vision, 40 books on more strategy, 60 books on tactics, and 1,000 books on influence because all of us, especially in ministry, we crave more influence. We crave the top of the mountain living. But Richard, through God's revelation to him, is like he's really onto something. He says, all of that above ground stuff we crave actually comes from a place of revelation of God which is forged in intimacy when habits of showing up and looking towards God and from a place of humility and a substrata of brokenness. So for the people to begin a place, you know, I'm broken before God, it makes us humble. There's an intimacy with Jesus, there's more revelation. From those places, there's a vision for your work life, for your family life. From vision comes new strategies that influence your tactics, that create more influence in whatever you're asking to be influenced of. The calling for those who look, or for those who look is this promise that, man, we're not called to just be top of the mountain people. We're called to say, Lord God, make me broken and make me see my brokenness as a way for more influence for your kingdom. There's an Henri Nouwen quote that I just love. We are not the healers. We're not. We are not the reconcilers. We are not the givers of life. We are sinful, broken, vulnerable people who need as much care as anyone we care for. The mystery of ministry is that we have been chosen to make our own limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. This is a love story. Heaven came down. Our calling is not to fix the world in and of ourselves. This this quote is not saying don't be an advocate, don't speak out for the marginalized. It doesn't say that at all, but it says the pressure's off. You're not the healer. You serve the healer. So just know 
in whatever beautiful way God wants to speak encouragement, your calling is that you've been chosen in your limited and your conditional love way to be a gateway for an unconditional, perfect love of God. That's your calling. And finally, the piece from Isaiah 40 that we get to that really is the heart of this text is that, oh, I was going to tell you a quick story. This is Malibu. Any of you been to Malibu, men's camp at Malibu or high school? It's an outreach camp through Young Life Ministry. No one in this room. That's amazing. You, yes, okay. All right, you know, yeah, we've been there, right? Don't be shy with us. Yeah, come on. All right, so... Uh, Malibu is, is really a high school outreach camp. This was built in the 1920s for the super rich. It was sold to Young Life for, for next to nothing. It's a, what, like a six or eight hour boat ride from Vancouver up here. It's incredible. And during the summer, every week from mid-June to late August, I think about five to 600 high schoolers a week are hearing the, the proclamation that they're called to relationship. Talk about comfort, a bunch of high schoolers go to this beautiful camp in the middle of a beautiful scenery in British Columbia, and they get the word spoken over them that God's not angry anymore. And thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives have been changed on this rock. In May, some of the men from Bethany go to the annual men's camp. And, I, and we go from north, we take a bunch of guys, I know the men of, of west, you guys do your own thing, so I'm not saying this is better or whatever else, but I had this really amazing kind of experience it, like the thing I was just showing you that all of our influence comes from a place of brokenness that we don't we don't have to be the healers we serve the healer the, the, the guys that plan the camp they asked me to do a speaking bit there's a big speaker I wasn't the big speaker I was the tiny speaker so tiny they said we want you to do one of our seminars fine I said what do you want it to be on um, how about brokenness and authenticity and vulnerability at the men's camp I'm like, hmm, okay, that doesn't sound very compelling. They had me go in front of the dining room. There's like 150, 200 men, and the different speakers, this one guy's like, I'm going to tell you how to have more success in your financial life. The next, and they have deeper voices than me, big guys. I'm a little guy. Next guy's like, I'm going to show you how to you know, have more blah, blah, top of the mountain. You know, these guys, great guys. They're just like top of the mountain speakers. They're, you know, more influence, more tactics, more vision. I'm like, yeah, my, uh, my speech is going to be on brokenness and authenticity. Uh, hope to see you there. You know, and the microphone, like, you know, and it's like, walk back to my seat. Well, the men sign up for the different things and, and uh, you know, speaker number one influence in your finances they're in like the big squawking number one the biggest room on camp and you know how to have more success in your relationships that's in the second biggest. they're like hey scott you're doing brokenness out in little squawk at 27 you're like way out of the property you're like off the picture here and i'm like okay thanks you know and i just was kind of feeling sorry for myself and i wandered out to the start of my seminar and it's like there's a little like hut thing where like I'm expecting two men. I'm like, what do I do if nobody shows up? What do I do if one guy shows up? You and me are going to talk about brokenness, fella. You know, and I was just like going through these scenarios in my mind. And I walk in the room late because I'm always late. I'm always late. I'm sorry. I was late this morning. I walk in the room. It's packed with men. Brokenness. We give men too little credit because every guy in this room knows it is the brokenness that I long for Christ to fill. I'm sorry for ways that we've, I don't know, taken the men's story, made it too small, that all you're capable of is stakes and seahawks, all right? You're bigger than that. And so I I, got to learn that again. I walk in this room packed 
Men wanting to hear more about how brokenness can lead towards this calling in Christ. There's comfort, there's calling. And finally, there's, there's this notion of being carried in the text. And I know we're almost done, so just bear with me. There's carried for those who will be led. Carried for those who will be led. This is the last couple of verses from the section I'm preaching on this morning. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on the mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. And say to all the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with power and he rules with the mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him and he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. It's so beautiful. Right, all the first 39 chapters that they hadn't measured up and God was a little bit angry and there's... It's all gone. That's all just pointing to the Messiah Christ who leads like this, who tends like a shepherd and gathers and carries and leads gently. So beautiful. If you're willing to be led by Christ, if you're hungry for this kind of love arriving in your life, it will bring comfort. It does call you into deeper relationship with him and there's just provision that you can be carried because God is here. Stop waiting for the world to tell you who you are. Stop waiting. You have a new identity in Christ. And all you have to do is be with him. To look upon him, to slow down from the madness, to light the candle and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be with you this morning. Thank you for carrying me. Comfort and calling, being carried because God is the comfort. This is a great quote by Thomas Merton, Franciscan monk. What we must become is what we already are. Do you love that? And what a word to speak over your life, Christmas. What you must become is what you already are. You are loved. You are chosen. God came for you in the person of Christ, bringing comfort and new calling to carry you. Read the end of Isaiah 40 this week if you just want more encouragement about strength and provision. He longs to carry you. For us, when we got to the top of this canyon, again, it's 102 degrees. We're hiking in the mid-afternoon, and you're in the back like, I'm never going hiking with this dude, and it's probably a good idea. But my kids had no choice. I'm their father. I march them up the canyon. We're out of water at this point. It's gorgeous, and we're thirsty, and we got to, like, we started and come back, and it is so hot. I wish I could just show, like, those rocks were just boiling, but I want to just highlight one part of this picture. Me with a pack, empty by this point, all right, my failures, but my son, who was four at the time, he's like, I can't, I can't go anymore. I can't, I'm, I'm done. He said it with some more screams. It's never that poetic, but the preacher makes it more poetic, right? I'm like, dude, jump on. I'll carry you. Now for the rest of our family, like the rest of our family, we think about that hike and we knew it was beautiful. We knew it was so, so hard. But if you ask my little one, he's got nothing but joy. He's got nothing but just the kindest memories about that trip. Because when it got hard, he was able to be carried all the way home. I don't know where you hurt this morning, church. I don't know where you're longing I don't know where you're thirsty, 
But God is the Lord your God. He goes before you now to stand beside you, to remind you he's all around you. There's a proclamation of his comfort and his calling and his willingness to just share his love onto you. May you experience that extravagant love tomorrow evening at five, Christmas morning, in the week ahead. And may your life be shaped by this new kind of king, a king of kindness who so wants to carry you and draw you unto yourself. May everything that feels broken in you just lead to more and more fullness, not of you trying to self-medicate your way to comfort, but in worship of him. Your hurt can turn to more and more praise and unity with Christ. Let me pray over you now as we call the band. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning and the reminder to West Seattle through these candles lit before us that you're a God who came for us that you're not angry at us anymore. And God, there's some of us that are just in a season of so much joy and we just celebrate that for those full hearts this morning, Lord. Would you just give them sustenance to to just continue to, to live in these weeks ahead out of a place of fullness. There are others in the room, Lord, that are worried about the upcoming family gatherings, about what still needs to happen. We're not sure where the worry lies, but God, would your, would your spirit just calm their hearts? Lord God, we are the broken ones. We are the hurting ones. We are, we are the ones who know that we need a savior. And so God, would you allow us to just tap into that brokenness so that you would so comfort us and remind us again and again and again in a countercultural way that we are called to be loved by you. We are called to be filled by you. God, would you carry us? Would you carry us? And remind Bethany West Seattle you're carrying them. We love you, God. Thank you so much for this morning together. And all God's people said, amen. Will you stand with us as we close in song? You know, Bethany West Seattle started eight and a half years ago on the same Sunday that Bethany North, my church, started. We started in the morning, September 20-something, 2010. Bethany West Seattle started that evening. I was here that evening eight years ago. I've only been back a few times. The first time I've gotten to share the pulpit of this place. But this is a beautiful church. This is a beautiful group of people. Continue to know that God is at work here in West Seattle through Prentice and your leaders, through each other. And may God continue to bless and expand your heart for Him. Let's close in song.